Test, test. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. Um, glad that you could be here. And uh, we appreciate everybody taking the time and making the effort to get here, especially the students. Uh, can we give them just a round of applause and thank them for coming? Are all of you, let's see, where's Eastern Hills? Eastern, okay, Eastern Hills. What else we got? Hope, right? Hope. And what grades we got with Hope? Sixth grade. Good, good. You guys got a lot to learn and we're happy to help. <laughs> so what else? We got Victory Christian. Is that what I was told? All right, great. Well, we're glad that you could be here. And I know that we've got Regis students. We got any Regis students? Yes, good. Uh, let me introduce uh, some of the guys that are here. Mike Riddle is standing up in the back. He's going to be one of our main speakers this morning, and we're glad that he's here. He just moved to Boise, Idaho, so he does understand doing this with moving, and uh, we're, <laughs> we're glad that he's here. Uh, where's Ray Mondragon? Where did he go? Ray's back here, and he's going to be speaking after Mike, and uh, we're going to take some time and walk through what does the Bible have to say about creation, but also scientifically, how do we deal with this issue of creationism? Uh, there's other guys that are here in the back. Uh, John Garth, where's John? Uh, if you just raise your hand. Where's John? Right in front of me. There you go. John Garth uh, is going to be sharing uh, as well tomorrow morning, and he's got a breakout session tomorrow morning. Mike Edenburn, where's Mike? Mike's in the back here. Uh, doing work with intelligent design, and so we're glad that he could be here uh, as well. And Joe Rennick, where's Joe? Uh, go ahead and raise your hand. We're glad that these guys can come. Uh, they're scientists. They've put a lot of time and effort into some of these things, and I think we've got a lot to learn from them. Um, you know, it's uh, interesting to me. I went to school, public school in Pennsylvania growing up and uh, was born in Africa on the mission field, I do not remember ever a time in my life where I did not have in some way, shape, or form a belief in God. Got saved when I got to college, but grew up in church. Grew up uh, listening to the Word of God. Uh, Grew up listening to the fact that God created. Never even a doubt in my mind. But through our culture and the messaging of our culture, there tends to seep in this idea uh, of, of all different kinds of ways uh, other than the fact that God created into our understanding of Genesis and our beginnings. And I can remember going to Liberty University and sitting in a class for the first time, listening to some of the science, which reveals, A, there's intelligent design, clearly God is the one who created this, and B, that he spoke it into existence. And I can remember sitting there thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And my vision of God was exponentially increased. Right? How you view God, what you believe about God, what you believe about the word of God, and what you believe about what God says about you are two fundamental questions that ultimately change your life. The more you know of God, the more vast and awesome and powerful that he is in reality. Not just a figment of our imagination, but in reality. And the more you begin to understand that God loves you. That God came to this earth, Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for you. The more you begin to realize how awesome God really is. And the more, my prayer is, that we all begin to trust him, grow in him, walk with him, and yield our lives to him, because that's what we were created for. 
okay? So glad you're here. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get started. Father, we love you. Thank you for this morning. And uh, Lord, I know it's morning, and I know uh, sometimes morning's hard to kind of wake up and get going mentally and all the rest of it. So I just pray this morning that we would uh, be alert, uh, Lord, that we would receive from you what you have uh, for us and teaching us. Uh, Lord, I thank you for Mike and Ray as they speak this morning, that you give them grace and guard them and protect them. Uh, Lord, speak through them. And Father, I pray that we would... uh, Listen and and learn. Thank you so much for each one that's here. We're grateful for the opportunity to learn more about you and what you've done. And I thank you for the speakers as they share tomorrow as well. Uh, Father, thank you for your grace. And and Lord, I thank you for Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, that you created the heavens and the earth. What an amazing truth that is. And Father, I thank you for the purpose that we have in that. I thank you that you formed us, you breathed life into us, uh, that Lord, we were created to have a relationship with you. And so, Father, we thank you for the two indisputable facts of Scripture, which is, one, that you created all things, and two, that you went to the cross and that you rose again from the dead. And so, Father, thank you that you have made yourself known to us by sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that each and every person here would know you and that, Lord, they would uh, walk with you in a very special way. And, Father, I thank you for this seminar. Thank you for the time together. I pray that you'd use it for your honor and for your glory. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Mike. So we're going to learn how to disarm the evolutionists by doing some critical thinking skills. Let's take a look and start with some common evolutionist tactics. Bluffing. Over millions of years, folks, that is a bluff. Anytime somebody buries something in millions of years, that's a bluff. It means they don't have the evidence. So be careful of these millions of years. Or only evolution answers are allowed. In other words, let's get rid of science. When you're approached by an evolutionist, they give you all this wonderful evidence, but let's not focus so much on the evidence. Let's start with the critical thinking method. Now I'm going to hold you accountable for these. You will not have lunch unless you know all three of these. Got that? Now, these are going to be easy because there's not a scientific term in them. And anytime you're approached by evolutionists or other subjects, you can ask this question. How do you know it's true? Simple question. How do you know it's true? That will force them to give where they got their information from. It's usually the Internet. How many trust the Internet on everything? No. <laughs> Has it ever been observed? Well, that's a killer question to the evolutionists. You know how much evolution we've actually observed? I'll give it to you in two languages. Zero Nada. (laughs) We've not observed any Darwinian evolution where we're going from amoeba to man. We've never observed that. What we do observe are fish producing fish, cows producing cows, and bacteria producing bacteria. But we've never seen a bacteria produce an elephant, have we? No. And are you making any assumptions? How you know it's true? Has it ever been observed? Are you making any assumptions? Three critical thinking questions. Here's a statement by evolutionists. Life originated a pool of chemicals about 3.7 billion years ago. Number one, were they there? No, they weren't. This is supposed to be 3.7 billion years ago. They weren't there. How did they know this? Number two, no, there's nobody that old, is there? So it's never been observed. And number three, very good. Are you making any assumptions? Absolutely. They're making all kinds of assumptions there. So easy that was. We don't have to give any answer. We just hold them accountable for their statement. And we'll find out they're bluffing. 
Scientists do know that about 200, 300 million years after Earth cooled enough to carry liquid water, cells similar to modern bacteria were common. Number one, how do you know it's true? How do they know that's true? It's true to them because they believe in evolution. It's not true because, number two, it's never been observed, has it? Nobody was there. Number three, you three are going to be dreaming this tonight, aren't you? <laughs> yes. I know at least three people will know one of these. This side's not off the hook yet. <laughs> How do you know it's true? Has it ever been observed? Are you making any assumptions? All three of those are in trouble on this. It's never been observed and making a lot of assumptions. They're all based on a belief in evolutionism. How much of the fossil was actually found and how much was added in or drawn by the artist? Okay, I need a volunteer over here now. Okay, you'll be my number four then. So if I say four, what will you say? Right, and you can put it in your own words. You don't have to copy me. You can put it in your own words. So now let's go through. We got number one. Number one, <laughs> how do you know it's true? Number two, big voice. Has it ever been observed? I like that. What kind of an accent was that? <laughs> and number three. Oh, good deep one. Make any assumptions. And number four. Okay, I'm going to go through some examples of that one. Let's take a quote from a biology textbook. For instance, modern whales are the descendants of four-legged land animals. That's right out of a textbook. Now we know where whales came from, don't we? Wolf-like creatures. And here's the proof they put in their textbook. What would you ask about these pictures? Number four. Right. How much was drawn in by the artist and how much was actually found? This is getting pretty easy, isn't it? How many like easy science? How many like thin, easy books to read, too? Yes. Let me show you an example. Here's, here's a creature called Pachycetus. It was a candidate for whale evolution. Now, I added the words artist reconstruction there. That's the picture they were putting in journals, technical journals, and in school textbooks. You know what was found? Out of the whole creature, only the shaded portions of the skull were found. That's all that was found. Now you see the importance of that question number four, don't you? you got an important question. See, we can hold them accountable for their statements. In other words, let's stop being on the defense and go on the offense. We will ask the questions and see if they have answers for the hope that they have. Well, let's do this. Here's the picture they drew. Here's what was found, only the shaded portions. They did find the rest, much more of the fossil. This was the rest of the bones they found, and this is the kind of creature it turned out to be. That doesn't look like a whale at all. That's why we must hold them accountable for their statements. They're misrepresenting good science. Here's, I love Berkeley University, because I'm not sure what country it's in, but they still teach this. Whale evolution, in other words, is called imagination. Here's another one. Fossil imagination, I call this. Discovered in 1983, 95% intact, dated to be 47 million years old, they found this fossil. The newspaper headlines read this. Fossil Ida, extraordinary find is missing link in human evolution. That was in 2009. Anybody have a cousin that looks like this? Well, 100 days after that great announcement, it was revealed to be another blunder. The whole thing was false. Turned out to be an extinct lemur. If you believe in evolution, your imagination will see evolution. Number one, we've got to take another break. Number one. How do you know it's true? Number two. Has it ever been a Number three. 
They, they've got it down. And number four, how much was found and how much was drawn by the artist? And we're starting to find out that's a pretty important question to ask now, isn't it? Well, now we're time for a little test here. How do you know it's true? Has it ever been observed? You make any assumptions? Now we're going to go to the power question. A real power question. Show me any observational evidence for evolution that does not require me to use faith. I call that a power question. Can you show me any observational evidence for evolution that does not require me to use faith? Two key words, observational and faith. Need a fifth volunteer here. Okay, you want to do that. All you have to remember are the two key words. You can give me the whole thing if you want. The two key words are what? Right, observational and faith. Show me any observational evidence for evolution that does not require me to use faith. They can't do that. Let's take, for example, this one. Life must be on other planets. It's arrogant to believe we are the only life in the universe. What would you say to that? Show me any observational evidence for life anywhere outside this planet that does not require me to use faith. Can they do that? No, they can't do that. In other words, we called their bluff. In other words, they resorted to name-calling. They're saying, we're arrogant if we don't believe it, but if you hold them accountable, guess what? They can't produce the evidence, can they? Over millions of years, mutations added new genetic information allowing for all the diversity of life we see today. What are the two key words we put in there? Right, let me show you how to use this. Can you show me any observational evidence for where that vast amount of information in our DNA came from that does not require me to use faith? The only answer the evolutionist can give is this. Over millions of years, folks, whoever observed millions of years? See, it's a bluff, isn't it? It's a bluff. And many of our students are getting caught in this. They cannot produce the observable evidence. That's what we need to hold them accountable for. Anybody seen these creatures? Better check under your bed. You might have one of those uh, frogs there. <laughs> now we're ready for our quiz. Mm. We might even have two quizzes. Okay, who wants to try this? We already okay, we'll take our expert. Very good. Excellent. Now let's do... Okay, I'm going to let the, these three off the hook. Can anybody over this section... Now, if I don't get number one, that whole section is going to do 20 push-ups. <laughs> Somebody over there is going to give me number one. How do you know it's true? Doesn't fear bring things out? See, fear and intimidation, great way to teach. Show me any... How do you know it's true? How about this section over here, number two? Has it ever been observed? Very good. And this, oh, the adults. Wouldn't you love to see them do 20 push-ups? <laughs> Let's do number three here. Uh-oh. Are you making any assumptions? Very good. See, we passed the quiz. Now, let's go to another section. How many take English language? Anybody learning the English language? Yeah. Hopefully. Yes, yes. 
I'm going to show you something that you probably didn't learn in your English class. How to read between the lines, how to recognize a bluff, show me the observational evidence. It's called fuzzy words and magic words. I'm going to show you how now to read a technical article, scientific article, and take it apart without having to know anything about the science. How's that sound? We believe we think, could have, must have, might have, our opinion is, we guess over millions of years. What do we mean by fuzzy words? When they use words like that, that means they have no observable evidence. Now, it's okay to use words like this, but you must tell the people the truth, what you're saying. When people use words like this, it means they have no observable evidence for their claim. Let's take some examples. Here's from a life science textbook, grade 7. Paleontologists think that Archaeopteryx and today's birds descended from some kind of reptile, possibly from a dinosaur. Think that. That's all they can do here. They think that. No observable evidence. And some kind of. They're not even sure what kind of reptile here, are they? And then the real scientific term, possibly. What is this article saying? They don't know anything about this. From USA Today. With a universe of hundreds of billions of galaxies, our entire universe must contain billions of Earth-like planets. There are likely... That's a pretty fuzzy term, isn't it? They're not sure. Now, I like this one. In fact, maybe. <laughs> what does that tell you? <laughs> this is getting pretty fuzzy. And then must contain. Well, why do they say must contain? Why don't they have the observable evidence? See, this is the power of recognizing words, holding people accountable to their statements. Joseph Silk. A good astronomer, he's an evolutionist, he's got a lot of good astronomy. He's going to give an article, paragraph here, on how galaxies form. How many like astronomy here? Anybody like astronomy? Yeah, we've got a lot of starry people here. Astronomy. Now I'm going to read through this article, then I'm going to ask you if anybody understood what he just said. Imagine that infinitesimal fluctuations in density were present in the early universe. The expansion of the universe must have exerted a stabilizing influence on such irregularities. The expanding universe has the effect of greatly impeding what otherwise might have been catastrophic forces. Nevertheless, the process of growth of fluctuations went on for a very long time. How many understood that? You know, where is the first fuzzy word? Imagine. What does that tell you about the whole paragraph? It's nothing more than imagination. He's got no science to support this. It's just his own imagination. Must have, very fuzzy. Might have been, he's not even sure. Then went on for a very long time. How does he know that? Because no one's ever seen a galaxy form. And based on the principles of physics, they will not form. So where'd they come? Anybody got an idea where stars and galaxies came from if they don't form by natural processes? By God, anybody know what day? What day? No, not the first day. Not the second. We're getting closer. Fourth day, yes. <laughs> We're working that process of elimination. Day four, and I love it how it says this. And he made the stars also. The astrophysicists estimate there are many more than quintillions of stars out there. That's a large number. Here's another statement. Look, Mike, any educated person knows the Bible isn't true. Evolution proved that a long time ago, I've, 
And I've read my fair share of the Bible, and we can glean a degree of wisdom from his tales and proverbs, just like any other ancient writing. What do you honestly think all that st- but do you honestly think all this stuff really happened? Now, this one's a little more complicated. First of all, who gave him the authority to say who is an educated person and who's not? Nobody. He just took it upon himself to be the authority. In other words, if you don't believe like him, you're not educated. That's what he's really saying. Evolution proved. You know, evolution can't prove anything. Just like science doesn't prove anything, it's the scientist. But not evolution. Evolution doesn't prove anything. And if somebody said evolution proved, I would go number one. Now, how do you know it's true? Are you making any assumptions? Very good. And who's my number five? Oh, that's number four. Number five. Right. Can you show me any observational evidence to prove evolution that does not require me to use faith? Very good. We didn't need number four on this one. You got off the hook. Long time ago. That's a pretty fuzzy word, isn't it? What do you mean by long time ago? Were you there? Yes, once upon a time, okay. (laughs) Happily ever after, okay. Read my fair share. Now, how much of the Bible have you actually read? I had that happen in university once. I had uh, one of the students there start criticizing the Bible. And I immediately asked her, have you read the Bible like you do your other academic subjects? And she said no. So she did not have the right to criticize the Bible. Tales and Proverbs, just like any other ancient writing. Is he assuming all ancient writings are just tales and Proverbs? That's what he's assuming here, isn't he? And then, like any other ancient writing, and honestly think. What does he mean by honestly think there? See, learn to check these words out. Who made him the author and authority for all of this? Now, let's go to the greatest fuzzy statement ever made. This is what we commonly call the high priest of evolutionism, Richard Dawkins. He is very critical of Christians and especially creationists. I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence for that if you look at the details of biochemistry, molecular biology. You might find a signature of some sort of designer. Boy, (laughs) it could be some earlier time, probably, some kind of, probably, perhaps this planet, I suppose, it's possible, might find evidence, you might find some sort of signature. Wow, can't beat that for fuzziness, can you? And this is the best they have. Now let's go to magic words. Now we're not talking abracadabra here. Appeared, emerged, arose, gave rise to, was on the way to becoming, burst on the scene, evolved itself, was making a transition too. These all make a claim, but they have no evidence. Evodevo, the evolution de-evolution proposes that genes involved in cobbling together flesh and bone during early growth were repurposed to develop new structures throughout evolution's history by combining their functions in new ways. Okay, repurposed. This is how evolution happened. They repurposed themselves. Can I give you a homework assignment? All I heard was yes. (laughs) Tonight, 
I want you to go home and repurpose yourself into another kind of creature. How will you do that? I wear a costume. Wear a costume, okay. What does this mean? They repurposed themselves. How did that happen? Nowhere in this article did they give any information. That's making a great claim with no evidence. The 185-million-year-old specimen is a sauropodomorph. That's too big of a word for scrabble, isn't it? A category of plant-eating dinosaurs that stood only four feet at the shoulders and could walk on its hind legs. They evolved into sauropods such as Apatosaurus. Well, first of all, there's the magic word, the bluff, 185 million years ago. Did you know there's no dating method that is that accurate? You know all our dating methods are based on assumptions, and we can prove those assumptions false? Isn't that incredible? But they use them in the textbooks all the time. But they don't teach the assumptions. They evolved. I went through this whole article. It just says they evolved. How did they evolve? What was the mechanism? No word given in the article. Into this world came the dinosaurs, initially small bipedal carnivores, and they rose to dominance at some point during the Triassic. Into this world, well, let's, we can be a little thesis here. Does that mean they came from Mars? Where'd they come from? They rose. How did they do that? It's just making a claim with no supporting evidence. Now, big challenge. Does the fossil record prove evolution or not? Well, we don't have to do this part. You already got the answer. I want to go through four facts of the fossil record. We're going to make this very easy. Very easy. I like easy science. I'll give you an idea. When I was in front of the NASA scientist, I used ninth and 10th grade, 10th grade science. That's all I had to use. And that took care of the whole situation. You don't have to go to high science. So let's start here. Cambrian explosion. Why is that so important? Well, when evolutionists start talking about fossil record, what you want to do is not get into all these detailed discussions of this fossil and that fossil, unless you know it real well. Learn to control the conversation. Take them to the bottom layers. If you can remember the names, you can say them. Cambrian and Precambrian. If you can't remember that, just say bottom layers. How many like bottom layers? Yes. Now, why is that so important? Because what we find down there are fossils of single cells. Single cell fossils. Then we find fossils of very complex creatures like trilobites had very complex eye mechanisms. Jellyfish, seashells, even some fish. Very complex creatures. What are we not finding down there? One single transition that led from a single cell to a seashell, a jellyfish, or a trilobite. No transitions. Zero. It's as if, and this might floor you, it's as if they were created after their kind. That is exactly what we find down there. In other words, the whole foundation of the fossil record does not support evolution. It clearly supports the biblical model of everything created after its kind. That's why you want to take them down there. Because if they have no foundation, they have nothing to stand on then, do they? Let's take away their foundation because that's what they're trying to do to us. They're trying to take away our book of Genesis, which is foundational for our entire rest of the Bible. There's no transitions whatsoever. Here's the gentleman who has his Ph.D. in physical chemistry. Anybody like to play chess here? Anybody chess players? This man can play ten simultaneous games of chess blindfolded and win them all. I asked him how he does it. His answer was, I don't know. 
But here's what he has to say. The Cambrian explosion is a mystery for evolutionists. Because they can't find any transitions. Here's another gentleman, Ph.D. professor of biomedical sciences. The sudden appearance of fully foreign species in the fossil record without apparent evolutionary ancestors and mutant intermediate species is a major problem for evolutionists. So when they come up with a fossil record, if they have pictures of fossils, what would we say, number four? Right, how much of the fossil was actually found and how much was drawn in? But if, you don't, if they don't show pictures, what are we going to do? Take them down to the bottom layers. Find me the transitions down there for your foundation. If you don't have that, let's not talk about anything else. Control the conversation. R.K. Barnes, Ph.D. Most of the animal phyla, their shapes, that are represented in the fossil record first appear fully formed in the Cambrian. The fossil record is therefore of no help with respect to the origin and early diversification of the various animal phyla. It's pretty clear, isn't it? The evolutionists don't have a foundation in the fossil record. Now let's talk about lack of transitions. Show me the real evidence. You passed the first one. Now we have another quiz. I'm going to ask you 10 questions. My criteria is you get 100% or you fail. And you know what failing means, don't you? Yes. Okay, question number one. On the left is a picture of a fossil turtle. On the right is a picture of a living turtle. What does a fossil turtle look like? Looks like a turtle, doesn't it? Did that surprise anybody? Turtles have always looked like turtles. That's amazing. Okay, there's some fossil imprints of spiders. What do those fossil imprints look like? Spiders, wow. Here's, now, this is an amazing one. There, according to evolutionists, is a 400-million-year-old fossil starfish. What does it look like? Starfish. starfish. This has got to be one of the dumbest creatures ever created or made. 400 million years, never grew legs to walk out of the ocean. Never evolved. No change in 400 million years. Now, according to evolutionists, here's a fossil of a 40 or 50 million year old bat. Still looks like a bat, doesn't it? No change. Fossil crabs. What do they look like? Now, this is a trick question. What do fossil shrimp look like? They still look like shrimp cocktails, don't they? <laughs> fossil dragonflies. Dragonflies. Horseshoe crabs still look like. Seahorses. Sea Frogs. How many, got, how many got all ten of those right? Woo! Pretty easy, wasn't it? Did anybody see any evolution there? No? Let's try a little bit more. There's a coelacanth fish, pronounced coelacanth. No change in over 100 million years. There's a tuatara lizard. No change in 200 million years. That's the one they like to use in the dinosaur movies. They dress them up a little bit, put a little makeup on them, and put them in the movies. No change in 200 million years. Scorpions, no change in 360 million years. Jellyfish, no change in over 500 million years. Are we getting the idea evolution never really happened? But if there was evolution, we should find some amazing transitions out there, shouldn't we? Can I show you some amazing transitions? Anybody seen the gator bird? We haven't even found that one in Florida yet. 
How about the bunny cat? How about the rhino melon in your garden? <laughs> Watch what you pick in that garden now. Or how about the bird dog? <laughs> For us older folks, that sounds like a record, doesn't it? <laughs> how about the sparrow boxer? How'd you like to have that on your finger? <laughs> how about the improved polar bear there? Look closely. <laughs> Now, this is the real creature. We have found this one. We find them in churches. <laughs> Watch out for swimming pools. <laughs> and then how about a face only a mother could love? How about that one? Take that one home. <laughs> now, these are not real creatures, but these would be interesting transitions, wouldn't they? Yeah. We can do a lot of things with computers today. Well, evidence number three is going to be called fossil graveyards. Remember, we're keeping the fossil record real simple here. Now, how do you become a fossil? Anybody know how we become a fossil? Yes. Well, you don't have to be dead first. You can be buried first, then die. Okay. Very good. Very good. In other words, it has to be done rapidly, the burial, doesn't it? You have to be buried rapidly to keep the oxygen out and keep scavengers away. Then you have the potential to become a fossil. Now, what we're finding all over the world, what we call fossil graveyards. Graveyards, we find hundreds, sometimes thousands of different kinds of creatures all buried together. Let's take a look at some. Nebraska, 9,000 animals were found there so far. Rhinos, horses, camels, wild boars, birds, plants, seashells, and fish. Do they all live in the same place? No, they don't. And they were all buried in sediments laid down by water. What does that suggest? A flood. A flood of some kind, doesn't it? Maybe a big one to bury that many creatures. And remember, they all have to be buried rapidly. Here's one, Wyoming. 483 dinosaurs buried over a seven-mile-long area. And sediments laid down by water. This is getting to be a pretty big flood to do this, isn't it? Anybody know of a big flood somewhere? Who knows? I need to get somebody. Yes, over there. A global flood. What book of the Bible would that be in? Genesis. Right, Genesis. Says it covered the whole earth. Covered the highest mountains. Starting to look like the flood was real, isn't it? Well, first of all, we know it's real because it's in the Word of God. But we have overwhelming scientific evidence to support it. Here's 12,000 bones belonging to at least 74 individual dinosaurs, all buried in sediments laid down by water. Here's one in Alaska and Siberia, graveyard, bears, wolves, foxes, and many other kinds of creatures all buried together. Here's one, 1,600 individual bones from 11 different species of dinosaurs. Incidentally, we do find dinosaurs with, buried with many other kinds of creatures, including mammals which are not supposed to have existed at the same time as dinosaurs, according to evolutionists. Here's one in the Grand Canyon. How many have been to the Grand Canyon? How many have hiked down it? Good. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Hiked down the Grand Canyon. Now, the Grand Canyon is about a mile above sea level. Guess what we found in the Grand Canyon? Billions of seashells called nautiloids. How'd they get a mile above sea level? They didn't have wings to fly or feet to walk either. The flood, Yes. And they're all buried in a seven-foot-thick layer, as if they were all buried at about the same time. 
France, hundreds of thousands of marine creatures buried with other kinds of creatures in sediments laid down by water. Wyoming, Green River Formation, many kinds of creatures buried there. What I'm showing you here will not be found in most of your textbooks. Your textbooks in public schools are designed to teach evolutionism and not science when it comes to origins. Be very careful of being indoctrinated. Here's a recent one, a whale graveyard. 75 whales, 20 of them were completely intact. That means there had to be very rapid burial. So a big challenge. The fossil record proves evolution is true. No, it doesn't. The fossil record supports the biblical model of created after their kind and a worldwide flood. Now, number four, history of mistakes. Nebraska man. And we've heard of Nebraska man. Okay, I'm going to show you how easy anthropology is. I need a volunteer here. Okay, let me go to the red, red shirt. No, you, you can sit there. You're just going to answer a question. Where did we find Nebraska man? Nebraska. See how easy anthropology is? It's easy stuff. How many like science now? Science is very, I like science. Yes. Nebraska man. What did they find? Well, a tooth. But what did they do before they told everybody what they found? They reconstructed the entire Nebraska man, his wife, and his family, and that was on display at the University of Nebraska and other places. The entire family, and all they found was a tooth. What question should we ask when we've talked about Nebraska man? Right. If this is what they were teaching at the University of Nebraska, the fact of Nebraska man from a single tooth, then what does the N stand for in their football helmets? Knowledge. <laughs> Some of you might need a spell checker for that one. <laughs> then there was Piltdown Man. They found a portion of a skull and some teeth. For 50 years, this was in the public education system as the fact of evolution, when the whole thing turned out to be a fraud. Somebody found part of a human skull, part of an ape-like jawbone, some teeth, filed the teeth down to make them fit, chemically stained the bones to make them look old. And the person who found them claimed they were 500,000 years old. And that was in the textbooks for 50 years, and the whole thing was a fraud. Archaeoraptor. This was in National Geographic. The feathered dinosaur. They even had color pictures. I don't know how they got them, but... This is what they teach in school today. Dinosaurs evolved into birds. The first thing that National Geographic did wrong was they... Muggled the bones out of China. The second thing they did wrong, what really got them, is they pasted feather imprints onto the bone. The whole thing was a fraud. This is evolutionism now. Now, don't think these people aren't smart. Evolutionists are very smart people. They earn their degrees. They're just blinded by their belief in evolutionism. Just like we were all blinded once, weren't we? And there's many other mistakes. We're not going to go through all of these. Haeckel's fraud, junk, junk DNA. How much of your DNA is junk? None. We have now discovered there's no such thing as junk DNA. You know what they're still teaching at universities and public schools? Junk DNA. In other words, the teaching of evolution has gone away from teaching science. So a quick review of what we've been through. Three critical thinking questions. Number one, how do you know it's true? Number two, number three, are you making any assumption? Number four, fossil record. 
Right, how much was actually found, how much was drawn by artists, and number five, our power question. Very good. Show me any observational evidence for evolution that does not require me to use faith. Very good. Then we had fuzzy words and magic words. Now, what we're doing here is holding them accountable for their statements. Then we talked about the Cambrian explosion, fossil graveyards. Now, we do have resources out there. You're going to find lots of tables with lots of good information on there. And our table is what? All the way over the end, Leslie? We're the end table? Here's a great apologetics book. This book, first half of it talks about something called presuppositional apologetics, how to take them down to why they believe what they believe. But the second half goes through simulated conversations and shows you how to do this. And it comes with a CD. Here's a great uh, video. Uh, apologetics 101. Who did Cain marry? What about carbon-14? I make carbon-14 so simple a sixth grader, even a fifth grader can understand it. So it's easy for this group right there. It'd be too easy for you. Is the Bible scientific? Great DVD. Here's a very biblical one called, How Long Were the Days of Creation? Does the age of the earth matter? What are they teaching in public schools? What are they not teaching? Very powerful one on supporting the days of creation were literal days. Here's one on... Logical fallacies, good logic. And this is one of those thin books we like. How to refute evolution using logic. How many like logic here? Let me, let me reword this. Logic is a characteristic of God. Now, how many like logic? Yes. We're very, very persuasive here. Now, the other thing I want to talk about is we have training courses. Our ministry, Creation Training Initiative, we have three one-day training classes. We come to your church. All we need is a request. We will come to your church. All three of them cost $45 per student. We don't directly charge the church to come. We charge by student $45, $25 for teens. Now, what do you get? You get the full-day training, 8.30 to 5.30. We feed you lunch and snacks all day long. That's enough to get the teens in there. <laughs> food, food. <laughs> And it's designed, again, for teens and above. Very powerful course that will get you started. And we'd love to have junior hires in here, too. Get you started so you'll be ready when you get to your biology class. Then we have another one called Advanced Creation Apologetics, a one-day course. This one trains you how to talk to any scientist and not have to know anything about the science. We answer questions like, is there any evidence for the existence of God? And probably the most important question, how can you call God good when he allows evil things to continue. We show you how to answer that question and many other questions in there. Then we have one for anybody who wants to teach or learn how to teach, Christian teacher training. We've had people who have been teaching Christian schools for 20 years come to this course and learn new methods because this is not based on what you learn in the colleges. This is based on the Bible, how the Bible says we are to teach. So it's radically different. Then we have a very special five-day class called our Creation Apologetics Teachers College. We only hold this once a year. And this year is going to be August 1st through the 6th. Incidentally, all our courses are approved through ACSI for Continuing Education Unit. This is five continuing education units, this course. We hold it in North Carolina at probably the best, what I think is the best Christian conference center in the country in the Blue Ridge Mountains, we only take 60 students from college and above, 60 students. What does this course cost? Well, it's $540 to attend this. 
What do you get for $540? You get the five days of training. Now, this is not fluff. I don't do fluff. You're in class for 10 hours a day, and you're studying at night. When you're done, you are ready to teach this subject. Over half our students now are out there teaching this in their churches and other communities. So you get the full five days of training. You get your lodging, which is like nice hotel rooms. And you get three good meals a day, not pizza and hot dogs. All that for $540. The actual cost is well over $900. We subsidize this out of our own ministry. We have to spend $28,000 out of our own ministry to hold this each year. So if you're interested, we have some nice four-page color brochures out there. Or if your church would like to sponsor somebody to come to this class, I guarantee they will be ready to teach this when they're done. Or if you'd like to, we have a donor that's offering a scholarship. Your course is paid for, and your travel to and from the location is paid for. All you have to do, we have a sheet out there, write two-thirds of a page question, answering a challenge. And then you can pick up some information about who we are, our first five years, what we've done in creation ministry, how many times we go out there and teach. So if you'd like to know more about us, pick up one of these papers. Leslie, how much time do we have? Ten minutes? I'd like to finish with one final piece here. That's all the information we have. We may still have one more pop quiz. I haven't seen anybody. I only feel successful people do push-ups. Yes, they're good for you. Uh, Come tonight, I'll give you a scientific reason for doing them. But let me give you one final thing. I was not a Christian until I was 30 years old. I was also an evolutionist. I was also, and I make this statement, I used to be an athlete. Notice the words used to be. That's what happens when you get older. You're a used-to-be. You're still around, but you're a used-to-be. I used to compete in... Anybody know what a decathlon is? That's what I did worldwide. I competed in the International Decathlon. Actually, in track and field, I was a national champion one year. One day, I was in a gymnasium lifting weights. And I was lifting weights in the gymnasium that day. A man came up and sat down beside me. And for the first time in my life, somebody presented the gospel to me. Then he asked me some questions. I ignored everything he had to tell me and answered all his questions wrongly because I had no room in my life for God then. Seven years after that, I was on a business trip. I was in computers. And I went to Indianapolis, got done work late one evening, got back to the hotel room, got in bed. As I lie there in bed that night, I finally understood the message that man gave me seven years earlier. It took me seven years. It's called bone, not, not brains. And that's the night I got on my knees and professed Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, all because one person gave me the gospel. And after a while, I got back in bed, and I still couldn't go to sleep. I had a strong desire to teach the book of Genesis, which I had never even read yet. So I reached into the drawer in that hotel room, pulled out the Bible, and began reading the first chapter of Genesis. And I was reading through that first chapter, I thought to myself, if I can't trust this first chapter... There's no reason to read the rest of the Bible because I won't trust it either. Or maybe some of what I was taught in universities may not be true. So I had the opportunity to travel all over this country, and I'd stop and talk to these professors and the evolutionists and scientists, and I'd ask them questions about evolution, and I found a pattern to their answers. They all had a lot of great stories, but not one of them could directly answer my questions. So I thought, here's these people that tower above me in intelligence, 
they cannot answer my basic questions about evolution, then why should I believe in evolution? Because when I turned to the Bible, I found answers. And I found something even more important in the Bible. Something evolution can never offer you. For the first time in my life, I had hope. Evolution cannot give you that, folks. Several years ago, my wife and I were on a six-week speaking tour throughout the southeast. Six weeks. Every day, one or more churches and schools. Six straight weeks. And we stopped in one place in Jacksonville, Florida. And that night, we were staying with the pastor. And after we got there, I sat across from this pastor and began talking. We talked about the Bible. We talked about creation. Then we started talking about some other things we had done. We found out we had both been in the United States Marine Corps. And once you find that out, you have an instant bond. So we began to reminisce what we had done in the Corps. We found out we had both been stationed at Quantico, Virginia, a large Marine Corps training base. So we talked about that and reminisced for a while. Then we found out we had both been stationed at Yuma, Arizona, that's a small Marine Corps air and missile base. So we talked about that. And we continued to talk and talk. And all of a sudden, he sat back in his chair and he stopped talking. And he looked right at me and he said this. I remember you. Do you remember me? 27 years ago in a gymnasium, I gave you the gospel presentation. God brought us back together again. See, that man did what he was supposed to do. And when each and every one of us sitting here today is commanded to do, and that is go out and give the truth, don't worry about changing anybody's lives because we can't do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Just give the truth. But we can't give that truth if we don't know it. Thank you, and God bless you.